I can't claim any credit for it. It is Claire's report. Um, um, I like to think of you as the ideas man and I'm the executioner. <laughs> the executioner. Uh, yeah. In more ways than one And welcome to Brews News Week, recorded on 17th March 2022. I'm Matt Kirkegaard, founder and editor of Brews News, and I'm joined by our regular panel of senior journalist Claire Burnett and former executive director of the Brewers Guild of New Zealand and current industry consultant Sabrina Kunz. Welcome to you both. Welcome back. Happy St. Patrick's Day, Matt. Happy St. Patrick's Day. I mean, should we be doing something Guinness-y? I don't know. It's... uh, I only know because I had to put my child in green for daycare, so that is why I really? know that it's today. <laughs> That's the level of my involvement. Who can do an Irish accent Absolutely and say, think not. of the children? I lived there for like four years and I still can't. Okay. Just don't do it. It's a good time though. It is a, <laughs> it is a brilliant bit of branding though that you know people just associate one beer um, with, the, with the official beer of the day. Okay. Number one beer on Untapped for... That list that we got, yeah, a couple year. of weeks so ago, so yeah. still widely drunk worldwide, mm. which is really interesting on account of they used to have an Arthur's Day. Did you know that Arthur Guinness, founder of Guinness, they used oh. to have a special day for Arthur's Day, and I don't know if they had the day off, but they basically had to ban it because everyone got so wild <laughs> uh, in Dublin and Ireland on that day. Really? <laughs> they were like, "We can't do this anymore." <laughs> oh, that's fascinating. I know. There you go. Is St. Patrick's Day actually celebrated in Ireland? Oh, yeah. I it is. Oh, okay. yeah. Okay. I, I, I just thought it might be one of those expat days. Oh, where no, it gets no, no, bigger. no. It's like the Queen's birthday where it's just on a random day in every different Commonwealth country. But yeah, so, random day. Days. And we don't get a day off for it in the UK, <laughs> which I think is incredibly rude. Uh, yeah, no, Patrick's okay. Day is absolute madness. They have the day off. Yeah. It gets crazy. Well, it's like the whole big fair and stuff. Um, Green River in Boston, you know. Okay, I don't think they go that far. I don't know if you'd want to make the Liffey green either. It's like verging <laughs> on it anyway. I'll just try and make the Brisbane River green. <laughs> anyway, Good luck. This is, we're here to discuss the news of the week, but we will start with telling you what the news of the week was. And uh, Claire, um, Brews News launches the State of Brewing Report. We have. We have launched our inaugural States of Brewing Report, which aims to analyse the health of and support for the brewing industry in each state and territory. Uh, it aims to identify the challenges breweries are facing locally and to highlight which states and territories have which have done the most to support the development of their brewing industries. It's intended to be an independent report um, and a working document as well to be updated in the coming years as new information comes to light. So uh, everyone go have a look. Uh, let us know what you think. Uh, comments, queries and additions, uh, inbox at brewsnews.com.au. That's obviously something that will come up in Blow the Fold. Not. But we'll move on to... Something that we haven't actually got on the website yet, but will be by the time... It's hot off the press, Hot off the it? press. Um, Good Drinks to Sell Magna's Irish Cider range in Australia. Indeed. So, uh, Good Drinks Australia just told the ASX this morning that it announced a partnership with CNC International to represent its Magna's Irish Cider range of brands in Australia. Good Drinks will become the exclusive Australian importer and distributor for Magna's uh, in 330ml bottles, uh, 568ml bottles as well, and keg formats. Uh, It was formally imported by Coca-Cola, which announced it would be divesting the brand along with a bunch of others, uh, including Feral, earlier in the year. Interesting as well, because we also know that um, Coca-Cola distributed Molson Coors, so we'll be interested to see uh, who takes those on in the coming year as well. 
Uh, entries open for the 2022 Royal Adelaide Beer Awards. Definitely in uh, beer awards season. Oh, love it. Uh, entries for 2022 Royal Adelaide Beer and Cider Awards are now open to beer and cider producers from Australia and New Zealand. Entries close on Friday the 20th of May and the presentation will be held on the opening night of the Adelaide Beer and Barbecue Festival on Friday the 15th of July. Nice. Uh, authenticity is the key for holiday marketing, says expert. Yes, this is a little <laughs> bit brewery pro and a little bit news. So you may have seen that Beer Cartel uh, just launched their latest promotion in time for Easter, the Great Australian Easter Beer Hunt, uh, a limited release craft beer pack designed to be hidden in the same way as an Easter egg hunt. Uh, and we thought this was a bit of a novel and um, innovation. Uh, so we looked at and spoke to an expert about uh, promotions targeted around events and holidays in the calendar. Um and the need for that to be done authentically. Uh, so that was an interesting sort of an analysis piece uh, based around Beer Cartel's latest promotion. Brewers join to join drinkers for Ukraine fundraiser. Yes, this was a nice one. Um, so there's a few people over in Europe, um, including Ukraine's first Cicerone, who have launched the Drinkers for Ukraine fundraiser. Uh, they are inviting breweries in Australia and the world over to brew the Ukrainian anti-imperial stout called Resist, uh, the recipe for which has been developed by displaced Ukrainian brewers. Uh, proceeds from the sales of the beer will go to humanitarian efforts in the country. And the recipe uh, is on our website, on their website, as well as links to um, the suggested uh, humanitarian charity uh, that they would want that to be sent to. Um, so people get on board. If anyone is brewing it, do let us know and we will um, promote that on our social media channels as well. Um, it's a great cause, obviously, and lots of things going on in the world right now. So if we can get involved in, in a positive way, then let's do it. Uh, now, one that will definitely feature in Below the Fold, new board appointments at Retail Drinks. <laughs> uh, Retail Drinks Australia has announced new appointments to its board of directors and management team. Michael James recently joined the Retail Drinks board as Chainstore member representative uh, from Endeavour Group, while Jonathan Russell was appointed uh, to its management team as head of policy and advocacy, and I believe uh, that is what his role was previously in another industry. And finally, uh, recurring and increasing theme uh, in the brewing industry, uh, Big Shed Brewing wins Sustainability Award. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so last month, uh, Big Shed Brewing was awarded the 2022 Promoting Sustainability Award for South Australia as part of Telstra's Best of Business Awards, uh, the latest in a long line of breweries being recognised in national and cross-industry awards, uh, and this is particularly a lovely one for them after they installed a 200 kilowatt solar system on site at its at their new venue at Royal Park. And if you won an award, for example, you wanted to make your drinkers aware of it. Um, slap it on a can. Slap it on a can. Um, <laughs> or your cartons. Um, oh, yeah, and if, if it, it's not just cans you want to put it on. If, uh, if you do want to put anything on your blank cartons, can trays, tap decals, barcodes and trick sleeves. I wonder if you could put on a barcode. I wonder if you could put it on, you know, a... QR codes? QR codes. That's why we should know that after two and a half years. <laughs> um, you can do that with our good friends at Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging. They can fill all of your uh, labels, stickers and packaging needs. <laughs> the name says it all, really. Do we even need an ad? We just need to say Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging. Um, give them a call on 1300 852 235 to discuss further. And you do not need to write that down. You do not need to pull over. Just look at your show notes. You know that the podcast has a link to their phone number. But also the Australian Brews News Business Directory has a link to all of the best suppliers. And you'll find Rallings as one of our uh, very important uh, 
directory members there. So Absolutely. the lovely Paul was at the fundraiser on Saturday. Hey Paul, he got himself easy uh, times uh, easy for the times. Brisbane. Yep, for the uh, for Brisbane, Brisbane Northern. Yep, yep. Uh, and he bought got himself a delightful golden growler in the auction. Yeah. Well done, Paul. The number Excellent. one golden growler. Okay. Yeah, it was really it was, cool. It was it was actually on my list of. Are we technically in below the fault? No, not yet. <laughs> we, well, how about we? That was the news we'll that there. you need to use in your business for this week. Now we're going to discuss that a little bit deeper in Below the Fault. Go for your life. Um, I, I, I don't jump in in the news, you see. So I was waiting um, patiently to sort of say what well, a great... Not that patiently. Well, <laughs> I was out. waiting impatiently um, to discuss what a great time um, and what a great event uh, the fundraiser was on sat- last Saturday. Um, held at Easy Times for all of the uh, local Brisbane-impacted breweries. Um, It was such a great showing of the local beer community. Breweries from all over Brisbane came together and um, along with consumers, um, we know that there was top-line support of, you know, karma kegs and beer from out of state, you know, Bent Spoken Capital since I'm in. Um, and it was just it was just such a great day. So um, you know, kudos to the team for pull it, for pulling it off. Sort of the organisation in a week. I know the guys behind Thirsty Merchants really participated. There was so much put in for auctions. So it'd be great to see the total of what was raised. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that Stone and Wood held fundraisers on the Sunday. Uh, there was barbecues being held out at uh, White Lies for the local mm-hmm. sort of volunteer community. Yep. They had a do up at. Um, Gimpy as well for um, people who are impacted by floods. Yeah, so it's just been... It's just amazing. It's been amazing and it's just, you know, it feels, you know, the sun's shining today and it sort of feels a little bit for people that it might not have happened but there are still so many communities that are so severely impacted, in particular down in that, um, you know, northern New South Wales area that, you know, the the impacts are going to continue to be felt for quite some time. So it was great to see our community at least doing the bit that we could for you know, people affected in our community. It was a great day. And Sabrina and I did some grafting that day as well, didn't we? <laughs> we accidentally got roped into the uh, <laughs> into the raffles. We, got, we were there for ages, we, weren't we? We were. Just enjoyed ourselves. Ripping the Bruce News brand. Yeah, absolutely. Well, but it was, I will say, you know, there were people there from, from all aspects. We had... Mm. Um, uh, Paul from Rallings was obviously there. The Thirsty Merch crowd were there. Convoy were there. Cryer, yep. Kegstar, HPA. Um, and, you know, there would be people that I hadn't seen. All of the local breweries. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there were a couple of distillers um, in the local area that were also flooded out and impacted and they were there, Grand Ajax. So mm-hmm. just, you know, it was one of the days like stewarding that gives you the warm and fuzzies about being part of such a great community. Um and the reason that you stick at craft beer. so that's It's one of those days, as we often talk about craft beer being a passion, it mines your passion. There are days like that that refuels, you know, tops up the tank a little bit. Totally, absolutely, <laughs> 100%. Everybody was there was sort of, you know, you're gushing a little bit because it makes you feel good. Yeah, you know, absolutely. So. It was lovely, wasn't it? Now, something else that makes you feel good is seeing a report go out, Claire. <gasps> so, uh, oh, yeah. Before we, uh, we will talk about the States of Brewing report. And but before we do, I just need to say, you know, thank you to. It, it's been very well received. I've received a, a lot of texts from people in the industry who have seen it, which seems to be the the industry text us. You know, it's not Facebook comments and things like that. And yeah. I do have to say that. 
thank you to everyone who sort of said, Matt, your report is fantastic. It's not my report. I can't <laughs> claim any credit for it. It is Claire's report. Um, um, I like to think of you as the ideas man and I'm the executioner. <laughs> the executioner. Uh, yeah. Was in that more ways than one As we know about brewing, you know, the, the, the two mates in the garage over a few beers who decide ideas are nothing. Execution <laughs> is everything. And uh, you've executed a massive, massive job that is involved to do anything for the first time, particularly on this level, is a huge project, and to get it done is a huge achievement, and it's, you know, it'll be a working document, as you say, but congratulations, and uh, maybe tell us a little bit about uh, what you found. Well, all sorts, and um, obviously Matt and Sabrina got a little look in before publishing, and we had a chat about lots of aspects of it. Mm-hmm. The thing that jumped out um, to us the most, I think, was just the individual nature of what breweries need in each state. I think during COVID, we saw how powerful the state governments actually are, how much they do impact our everyday lives compared to the federal government. We obviously had the excise um, rebate extensions last year, which was fantastic. Um, But the federal government don't necessarily have as much control over the everyday lives and goings on at a brewery and a business like a brewery than we might expect. So we covered so many things like licensing, uh, planning and development, uh, funding, general government, state government support. And it was really interesting to see how impactful those like very individual rules, they're very dependent on what that state feels like doing at the time. There's no consensus across any of them. And that can be a hindrance. That can actually put obstacles in the way of breweries as well. Um, If you've got to apply for three different licenses to have a production facility and a hospitality venue and sell outside of that it's just sometimes there are some crazy seemingly insane rules that could be so easily fixed or um, if so there's in queensland you've got a <laughs> parliamentary committee yeah that recommends that you do something mm-hmm. and, and then, then they just ignore it you cave to pressure from a major lobby group mm-hmm. not to do it because it's in their interests, not in the broader community's interests. I think that was really interesting from the report, Matt, that one of the things that jumped out, obviously, you know, I live in Queensland and and know other breweries here more, but what was really, I think you're here and you see this stuff and you have this sense that there is this powerful lobby group that might be different to the way that other states are and jumping out in the report was sort of just how powerful the Queensland Hotels Association is as a lobby mm-hmm. group. And they are nationally as well. They've spent, I can't remember the figure, but like it was tens and tens of thousands of dollars donating to politicians in key areas nationally about it, this excise yeah, holiday. And, but at a state level, mm. it didn't come out from the report or, you know, from from your conversations about the... the um, the sort of anti-beer lobby, and I don't mean that in the sense of the health people, but the hotels, mm-hmm. um, that didn't seem to be as prominent in the other states and maybe oh, that's absolutely. a place for feedback, but that is something that really jumped out at me that is mm-hmm. quite distinct to the Queensland market. Yeah, so, yeah, so I just thought that was really fascinating, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, in terms absolutely. of the differences and then therefore the challenges of each of these local areas you you know we know the IBA is trying to work across such a large scale of you know beer and and advocacy and they've done you know obviously achieved some things at the federal level but it really shows how some states where the local breweries have perhaps engaged really strongly like New South Wales mm-hmm. have gotten some and Western Australia they've done really well in terms of getting funding that's what I was just gonna say yeah, actual dollars seem to flow where you've got a highly engaged 
and potentially more organised mm. group of brewers that are actually doing the local lobbying. Who can um, speak with one voice. Who can speak mm-hmm. with one voice. So, as Claire said, like the, the clearly the role of WABA and, and the way that they've been coordinated um, when you look into the report has resulted in actual dollars, yep. dollar spends. Mm. That's it. Um, and that's such a contrast to Queensland, as we say, where, and Matt said in his quotes in the article about, you know, politicians do like to have the nice photo op and they like to say that they're supporting it, but we want to see some actual dollar bills yep. attached to that support. Actually, that's one of the things that came out of the report for me is that dollars are one thing, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and we've seen, you know, support, most states support their wine industry as a primary producer and things um, because the the wine industry has been very good at talking about, well, we're agriculture, so we, we, it's, it's in the regions and then the, the wine industry has tourism potential and they tell that story very well. Um, One of the things that comes out of the industry and watching it is the number of businesses that have sprung up on the back of craft beer, you know, whether it's Rallings, you know, who who have changed their businesses. We've got manufacturing, making um, packaging um, lines. Mm -hmm. HPA um, alone has invested $50 million over the last couple of years, 50 plus million on expanding its hop production. And it's an export industry. So Mm -hmm. it actually is a, you know, net revenue earner for Australia. Um, You've got craft hop growers, um, you've got uh, maltsters who are you know increasingly growing. You have these industries the, that the are... The grain-to-glass supply chain. The grain-to-glass supply <laughs> chain, but many of which are occurring in regions, you know, and that, that need industry. And, yeah. you know, the, the high country of Victoria, Tasmania, um, you know, central New South Wales for, for, for grain. And that's a story that the craft industry doesn't tell very well. But that's where the government, you know, government needs to see that full supply chain. Yeah. But even if they're not giving dollars to breweries to expand the way that you know they gave to Brewdog in Queensland or whatever, the report really highlighted where government's getting in the way, as you said, mm-hmm. by having you know unnecessary restrictions and not understanding the the, the, the business. Yeah. So in WA, they seem to have. Um Clay, you can correct me, but I'm pretty sure in that Southwest they did invest. So some of the money flowed. It was for breweries, but it was based on – I could be wrong. Was it based on manufacturing? So some of them were manufacturing. Some of them were tourism, I believe. Yeah. yeah. So that's sort of – you know, they are they are sort of supporting – you know, in WA there yeah. was some. But overall, um, you know, that other piece, which is um, there seems to be very limited support at a tangible dollar level – by state governments, and we've obviously seen some shining spots for local governments, but on tourism. Mm-hmm. So the South Australia had the couple of pieces, but that was sort of folded into yeah. a broader strategy for the region. Tasmania obviously had something start and then... <laughs> the Bear Trail the in Bear 2015 Trail. that just fizzled out completely. And I've, I don't believe... I believe that the brewers there are not happy about that and what yeah. happened with that. Uh, understandably so. Understandably uh, so. Yeah. Right. And so, you know... We've and that's a, actually... The, and that's an interesting point because the it's a state-based report. We don't bring in federal. Mm-hmm. We might look at including just an overview, a summary of the federal support yep. for, for, the, for the next report. It would be an interesting <laughs> contrast. Talking with Claire at the... Oh well, because <laughs> yeah, they, they, they do have... You know, when they when they make excise changes and things like that, they do have mm-hmm. the ability to, you know, you can debate whether it's a good or bad thing for the, for the industry because <laughs> uh, the jury's still out on the excise yeah. changes. But when it gets down to things like tourism trials, we've recently seen, um, you know, I think the Sunshine Coast, there are a couple of tourism yeah. trials around that are supported by local government who see yes. the benefit, yep. 
that's a very hard thing to incorporate in a report because of the very different ways that local governments uh, handled you know yeah. in, in different jurisdictions but also they are small highly localized but things the, mm-hmm. but the point that i think claire's um report um and one of the things we had to look lo- look at and this was in relation to planning mm-hmm. was has the state government provided any direction mm-hmm. to local governments around you know what is a brewery yeah. so to try and avoid some of these um issues around saying you're light industrial or you're industrial yes, and you can't yeah. have a brew pub in an industrial area and so on That's and so it. forth and so similarly there are no directions or funding that is flowing from the states to local governments on supporting beer tourism as a as a piece so That's i something think that comes from the state level yeah. It, yeah so so there is very limited um you, you know, and Claire, your report highlighted, I think there are a couple of places in New South Wales and Victoria where the local governments had been quite successful at mm-hmm. trying to work with the brewery on yeah, so address. Yarra, and I think, obviously, like the Inner West as well as well. So, so, so <laughs> yeah. trying to solve that sort of um, licensing yeah. issues, but the direction isn't coming from the state to solve it. The no, it's very much driven at that lower, like, I say lower, the local level. Like Andrea Ryan at Killer's Pocket and they have been, their local member I think is a guy called um, Jackson Taylor and he's been really supportive of them. Uh, And she even said in the report, you know, um, they can make a difference without directly giving money. Time advocacy and exposure are also extremely valuable. Yeah. Which is really interesting. And I know, you know, personally we see um, the local MP for Stafford here is constantly supporting and speaking about um, Happy Valley Brewing. So, like, he actually uses that to support uh, locals. But that's on an individual MP basis, not on that sort of systemic approach. And I would ask how he voted for those recent... Um, that, that recent legislation. So, so you can say whatever you want to you, to pander to your local constituency and stand in the brewery and have your photo taken, mm-hmm. which is what I said. What are you doing on a service level so, to the industry? So I think this report is really good at highlighting where there is clearly more that can be done at a state level. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing, um, and Claire and you and I talked about this offline, which is, um, and we know that the IBA are really cognizant of this, um, but this container deposit mm-hmm. approach in every state. Mm-hmm. So if you think about, you know, the model that breweries are all taking now, which is um, or, or not all breweries, mm-hmm. a number of breweries are looking at multiple location brew pubs. Yep. Well, they can't, even if it's within their state, they have to fight the battle every time they go to open a new brew pub because mm. they've got to deal with local folks. Yep. And then if you go, okay, well, then they're going to take the model where they're going to distribute their packaged product nationally so that's their growth as opposed to brew pubs then they have to deal with container deposit deposit scheme labeling complexities recording what a nightmare different in every state as well so it's not like you can replicate the same way you do it in one state in other states it's just completely crackers Uh, and so you know both of those things combined mean that the roadblocks for breweries finding a model that works to get their beer out be it through local venues or, yeah. or multi-venue or, um, you know, nationally is just – it's just insane. Yeah. It's so hard. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, so hopefully what I kind of intended it not to be like a big massive hitter in terms of page views but more a, if you're a brewery and you want some support from your um, local member or your state or whatever, you can go to them and point out, look, this is what other people are doing. Why are you not doing this? Um, and I think that – little certain level of shaming um, can also help when you're dealing with um, well, government well, hopefully and politicians. It ele- elevates the conversation that can be had around what 
is needed in each state mm-hmm. um, where the gaps are, but also for you know, folks like the IBA to have the opportunity, people that work across all mm. states to think strategically about, well, how do we make this easier for everyone, right? And it gives a document, as you say, that breweries can use to advocate for better support for the beer industry. Yeah, that's it. And just so. learn from each other as well, like we say about Wobber and, and other organisations and individual sets of breweries and localities. What they're doing is amazing. And if we can replicate that across the industry, even better. This will obviously be something that we return to, and particularly it was only released yesterday. Um, people have uh, clearly been looking at it um, and haven't digested it fully, but we'll probably come back to that once we, you know, even next week when we get some feedback. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that'd be nice. And so, Claire, the conclusion, I just mm-hmm. um, s- sort of am having a look at that. So the state that provides the best support based on a range of factors, and people can look at that, mm-hmm. is New South Wales. Yep then Victoria, then WA. It is. And I want a special mention for WA because they really have put their hands in their pockets. $3 million for funding for breweries. Mm -hmm. And that's considering that they don't have anywhere near as many breweries as Victoria and New South Wales. I know New South Wales has obviously, you know, uh, dipped into their wallets as well. Um, But yeah, Good, good on them as well. WA is really quite reliant on tourism and having that feather in their cap is just like why would you not it seems like a no-brainer cool awesome well done nice one now moving on now again a story that's just broken so we're this is almost kicking around how we're going to cover it um, yes but Sorry the, guys, the, the good the drinks to sell list. magnus irish cider on one hand it's you can go meh um it's magnus cider which isn't exactly a um you know, I've never really seen. Maybe I'm not a cider person, so I never really noticed it. Well, it's been distributed by Coca-Cola. It was one yeah. of the brands that when Coca-Cola said yeah. we're getting out of beer and cider, um, they're going to get rid of. They wanted to get rid of, mm-hmm. needed a home. CUB had to divest a couple of cider brands already um, when they were t- when they and Asahi partnered up. Mm-hmm. Um, Lion's got a pretty good house of brands already. Yeah. Um, so if Coca-Cola is going to get out of Magnus, where's it going to go? Mm-hmm. Interesting to see that it's gone to good drinks. Um, yes. Now, for me, and I, I know that from the preliminary discussion we've had, we've all got a slightly different take on it. <laughs> but I'm going to return to one of my themes is that, you know, the post-craft world, um, you know, once upon a time, the narrative for small craft breweries, of which mm-hmm. Gage, even though it's publicly listed, once saw itself as, as a, you know, in, in the beer space, mm-hmm. was the thing that makes us different is we're not like the CUBs and the Lions where we have beer... Cider, um, wine, um, RTDs, and things like that, and we basically don't nurture any one of those categories because we're just a drinks brand, and whatever sells will flog units, um, which means that you're not worried as much about the brand uh, values of the, the beer sector by itself. And uh, you know, then we started seeing craft breweries. Well, we need something in our tap rooms. We'll knock out a cider. We'll talk about the quality of our beer, but we'll just churn out fermented apple juice. You know, for yeah, from people concentrate. Who do, yeah, yeah, for, yeah, from yeah. concentrate. Yeah, we'll yeah. talk about the quality of the ingredients for our beer, yeah. but not for our cider. And there has been, you know, dare I use a Greg Cookism? You know, the insidious creep of businesses realizing as the craft beer segment and that narrow, passionate craft beer segment hasn't grown quickly, you know, brewers have jumped on seltzer, which is nothing like beer. They've, you know, they're, they're adding to their lines. And, you know, Gage Roads, which is one of the bigger um, or independent 
um, breweries in the country, mm-hmm. um, potentially the biggest independent brewery in the country, even though it's uh, listed. Now, you know, they're, they're becoming a multi-drinks business mm-hmm. um, with a big cider brand. You know, my questions went to if you were looking for a distributor, would Gage Roads be one of the brands that you would think of as being the the top country's distributors, right? Who else are they going to go to? So, so I don't disagree, but I came at it from a logistics point of view, I guess, right? Because yeah. that's predominantly what this is. But I can see that, um, you know, in 2020, Gage Roads announced that they would become the exclusive importer and distributor of San Miguel, Miguel which yeah. is the Philippines. So they've clearly, even a few years ago, decided that um, bringing in brands, be it beer or other, and distributing them is going to be part of the way that they do their business. And and so this is... They're a house of brands, not a branded house. Yes. <laughs> so they've decided, you know, that distribution is actually going to be one of the things that they decide to excel at, not just making beer mm-hmm. or mm. making yeah. ginger beer. So that's Which makes sense because they want to expand into the East Coast further. So they're going to have to have those links and networks anyway to get everything from WA across. And this goes back to that, I I talk about the craft beer glass ceiling where businesses can only grow so far on a pure craft beer basis. They're only going to get fast growth, they might get incremental growth Mm -hmm. at a certain level and so they are starting to look, well, how do we broaden our base so we're not relying on one product and you know, how, how do we grow the business and we are starting to see you know, very, very small breweries having multi-venue yep. um, businesses. So they've got more places that they know are going to stock their product yep. um, and sell at a retail margin. Well, control over their destiny, I think, is how Sarah Turner put it. In control your, over their destiny, yeah. Yeah, conversation. Yeah. Um, but then also, you know, like Stonewood was a great example. We talked about their one, how they, you know, they, they were never able to get a second act, a, a strong second act to Pacific Ale mm-hmm. for all of the beers and the, the, the strength of the business they were never able to do that but then even the Green Coast Lager which was a very which was one of their a beer that they tried and tried and tried with and they rejigged it um, over the years um, ended up becoming a mainstream play you know you've got the true Green Coast I don't even know if the original Green Coast is still about because it became the you know clear bottled mm. um, 3.5 yeah, right. um, trying to find that broader market Claire made that point around they've got to get beer from WA to the East Coast. And I wonder if it's as simple as we've already got to send trucks. We know that we've got capacity and we're already doing it. Let's find things that we can fill up the trucks. You know, like I know that that's a really um, simplistic way to think about it. It can land anywhere. Yeah, that's true. And then again, if you're sending it across the equator in a, you know, shipping container, um, you know, what's an extra couple of days in a thing going across the Nullarbor? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Look, Sorry, it's, don't, I don't it's, know the logistics. It's a, it's a f- we'll it's ask. I'll ask the questions. Mm. We've got something lined up today, so we'll it's we'll delve deeper. But what does it say about growth um, for yeah. for craft businesses? Um, the and you know, post craft world. Do you have to become a multi beverage model to grow? Um, because when that seems to be the way that everyone's yep. finding growth. Yeah, and we're seeing people move into seltzers and other and setting up sub brands that aren't related to their main brand and things like that. So there's clearly a need internally for them to diversify and find those areas of growth and maybe have an experiment in areas that they aren't necessarily professionals at if their beer producers number one. 
And I joked about it being a social enterprise model because, you know, um, you know, the, the point of a social enterprise is that you do something that may be related or entirely unrelated from your core business to generate income so you can do your core business, yeah. right? And actually maybe what people, what good, good Drinks wants to do is make really cracking beer. But as we all know, it costs are increasing every which way you turn to make good beer. And so they're finding areas that generate greater margins so that they can reinvest those margins in making good beer. And and so really at heart, the point is about making good beer. Mm-hmm. It's just about finding better margins because the costs of – Matt's smiling at me, so I'm going to defend my position stronger. Only because I was going to call you Pollyanna. Um. Yeah, but uh, look, think about it. This is why people want to control their own destinies with multi-venues because the, the margins that you make on beer over your own venue mm. is greater mm-hmm. than anything that you distribute. We know, um, it, you know, even based on economic reports out of the U.S., Cost of all raw inputs is going up. Uh, cost of um, personnel we know is going to go up over the next few years as skilled talent becomes harder to find. We know that um, regulatory costs are increasing. I mean, we just talk about the CDC scheme. You know, we just mentioned that. We know support is lower. So if you add all of those in, the margins on beer are just being chipped away and chipped away. And so, um, and if you want to keep doing that well and you want to keep investing and have good people and culture and all of these things that we now say a good business needs to do. You mm. need to find somewhere to make money and maybe they're just going, you know what, we can make money over here so that we can invest it over here and still be the best we want. And that's where I don't think that that's actually the thing that's driving it. You know, I, I agree with everything up until that point because I, you know, it's, it's good business and it's no criticism of the fact that it's doing it. But for me, it is such a massive shift away. You know, there was a whole industry that was once called the craft brewing industry and the hours that were debated about what craft beer means. Um, and I, I just had to write an article trying to explain what craft beer means um, for a national yeah, block. And it, it doesn't mean anything anymore because even when you used to look at the American Brewers Association definition, it was small, traditional, independent. Um, so small, mm. six million barrels is small these days. So that's 10 times the size of Cooper's. Mm. Yeah, that's not small. Um, traditional, they've completely jettisoned that yep. because it stopped the use of adjuncts and things. And independent, it was 25%. So that's still, you know, independent is, is increasingly all that's left from that definition of craft. And that, and that's, I, I, I think we were really hopeful at the start of the revolution that was craft beer that everyone would one day be drinking craft beer or a much bigger share of the market would be drinking craft beer. But the inroads into the broader, not only is the beer consumption shrinking against other segments, but the inroads that craft beer has made into the existing beer market has been arrested as well. It's not making the inroads that we once hoped that it would. Businesses need to find other income streams and that's great business. But to my way of thinking, that further undermines the promise of what craft beer wants. You know, craft beer isn't something you emotion vestally in, in. It's just a marketing idea for people who want something different to the mainstream. Maybe, but I think, you know, society has evolved in the town. Yeah. So I was going to so- say, this has to evolve. You can't just hmm. think about craft beer the way you did 15 years yeah, ago. Yeah, and so so we're at, an, we're at a different point. We're about to have you know, 595-plus craft breweries. Everybody wants to be in it. The level of competition is totally different to mm. what it was years ago. So even if the total pool isn't 
um, the total volume of drinkers of craft, craft quote-unquote beer isn't increasing. The number of people that you're competing against is increasing. I just think it's interesting to look back to understand where you've come from. But it also means, you know, holding on to a vision of purity for purity's sake is is not going to get the industry anywhere. And if things like this mean that breweries like Gage Roads can continue to produce high-quality beer, even if it's, you know, it's a, mm. a hazy IPA or whatever <laughs> comes next, then that is good because what was the whole thing about? It was about good beer. Yep. And, and, I, I, and that's, <laughs> I'm not holding on to any definition saying that we need to, again, and sometimes that's when I talk about this, that's yep. the misconception. I'm saying this is how the beer should be. Yeah. But it's not, and I agree, we should be moving on and we should. But as with anything, that comes at a cost. One of the things that exploded craft beer at the start was beer had come to be seen as moribund and a low-value commodity product. Yep. Craft beer promised to raise yeah. the margins in it because consumers saw it as being something that was more special. The more that that yeah. the, the more that we do that, that promise of that is being eroded. Absolutely. Is making all of the products um, a, a commodity. Agreed. And yet people are still entering the industry, which again comes back to my argument last yep. week about equity crowdfunding. Yep. There is still a belief that you can make a better margin on craft beer and for now you probably can, but it's also more expensive to make. But if that reality that you just enunciated so clearly is true, the industry's narrative is going to have to change. Otherwise, you're just luring more people in on this pattern. I think it is changing. I think it is changing. The narrative is changing. Um, And Drink Local held true. But some of the largest proponents of Drink Local were your largest breweries. But Drink Local still resonates. Right? So people are still focused on some of the aspects of beer being, a th- you know, of the pub being the third place. Yep. Craft beer has undoubtedly completely revolutionised what a pub looks like mm. now. So, and that, we're not going backwards in that sense, right? Like people aren't going back to a hall that only includes dudes with Keno playing 24-7. Like that hospitality <laughs> that Sarah talked about, like mm-hmm. I, it is fundamentally revolutionised the expectations of what people want as their local um, and craft beer has been, you know, critical to that change. So, I, you know, here we are. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Good oh, chat. We but, uh, yeah, so all, all that just because somebody signed up a cider. I know. Um, <laughs> but it does. So the, the, these are the laws of unintended con- consequences and, um, you know, it, it, and what does it mean? Because if you're starting a brewery, these are the things you want to be considering about the shifting market. Totally. Um Authenticity, the key for holiday marketing. That was a nice little article because, again, it was, yeah, interesting one. to see that came across our desk as a, you know, a new product. Mm-hmm. We don't tend to do new products with yeah. so many new products launched, but mm-hmm. to actually see something that fits in a innovative um, element. So mm-hmm. you know, we, we've seen the Christmas beer, advent calendars. Advent calendars. Yep. Um, everyone's got one these days. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do you bring beer into a another holiday exactly um, and make it relevant and as our expert said authentic mm. not only to the holiday but also to your brand and its values because you can't like he was saying uh, dr jason pallant who is a big fan of ours and of brewing in general um and is an absolute delight he works at swinburne university of technologies business school uh so he's top notch on the old marketing and, and business aspects so we get him to comment uh whenever we can and he just made the point you know with 
that the fact that we are growing as an industry there's so many outlets to where you can buy beer now you've got to really set yourself apart if you're someone like beer cartel and also um like you say fit that into a holiday this isn't a conventionally easter isn't conventionally a time for beer necessarily um i'm sure it is for some people Even with all the chocolate <laughs> beers, yes. people have tried it with chocolate beers and it just hasn't worked but weirdly. to actually do it so where you hide the beers around yeah, the yeah. easter egg hunt you've got to find ups. a click though or get wet warm well <laughs> but that was the <laughs> other thing for me that i found interesting was the way that the package was so clearly... There was such a minefield. You could easily have gotten Mm -hmm. yourself caught up by Christmas being a chocolate and eggs. The labelling on it, this is adults Mm -hmm. only, this is beer, all of the things No cartoons, no animations on it, like kind of like Eastery type colours, but that on its own, as we know from ABAC, um, does not a breach make. (laughs) Did they, and I I know you updated with some comments about that, did they get it Mm. pre-vetted? They did not get it pre-vetted, but they are, um, they always look at ABAC. Um, Jeff Hewan said um, from Beer Cartel, he was like, we are very conscious of these issues and like, we they were aware of all of the yeah, issues that yeah. had come up and they were incorporated into it. All the time, yeah. And well, somebody commented on Facebook, how is this not going to breach ABAC? And yeah. this is where I, I think there is a common misperception. People look at ABAC has said this is bad, but mm-hmm. then they don't look at the various yeah. logic that goes into it. And it's yeah, just, it's much more complex than this is good or bad. Like You need to yeah. make clear that this is for adults. And they say, you know, Beer yeah. for adults, adults or only, yeah. yeah, adults only. So it's, it's, it's very, very clear. But also, um, you know, I really liked that they were that um, all of it, and and I guess this is the sort of authentic part. But it was from conception to execution thoughtful mm-hmm. so even the instructions on how do you do the hunt you know yep. is it just you or is it you and some mates you know how do you do it what do you do the packaging everything about it was thoughtful and I, I remember um you know, because we've become so used to living in lockdown, right, one of the things that sort of really increased is buying gifts online to send directly to people. Mm-hmm. Hey, mum, I can't make it home from Queensland to Melbourne um, and so I've sent you an Easter egg beer hunt and then the person gets to unpack that. It's got mm-hmm. an activity associated yeah. with Experiential it. Experiential marketing. Experiential marketing. It. And so, you know, we've had a couple of examples recently where we've talked about maybe the release of a product was not done with um, entire thoughtfulness from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. And this is an example <laughs> of um, really, yeah. you know. To do, how to do it right. How to do it right. Absolutely. So, Oh, awesome. Well done. Well done, Bear Cartel. Uh, retail drinks, new board appointments. So oh. I believe you might have some thoughts. Can you please do it this week? Yeah, Claire? I'll do it this week. You might want to take a look at your board diversity <laughs> retail drinks. Uh, the two new people that have joined are of a, of a type, of a type like the rest of them. <laughs> Not okay, critiquing now, retail drinks I'm, with I, that, I, I, but... Because people have commented, why does this matter? Why why shouldn't right. the best person... So, the reason we, we, why it matters... Presumably, they've appointed the best person... As a person who used to listen to the podcast that hated hobby horses, I now find myself in the really difficult position in which <laughs> I feel like I'm being trolled. And now <laughs> I have a hobby horse and I didn't intend it to, but I also feel... But once you notice it... You can't you, unnotice it. No, you can't, it. that's it. And so um, why does this matter? Because you cannot tell me that in the whole of Australia, across all of the people that operate in retail mm-hmm. for drinks... Yep. That's that's all you could. That it, you yeah. could not find qualified women, yep. and so 
um, why does board diversity as a group matter? Because diversity of thought, experience, background, and we're using um, visible diversity as one aspect that we're looking at. Mm -hmm. But the lack of diversity leads to uh, less good decision-making. So diverse boards make better decisions. That has been proven. This lack of visible diversity suggests that there has not been a significant and targeted effort to find diversity of personal experiences and Mm -hmm. thought, some personal experiences that would be brought by women which would be different to men, and and we're targeting one very specific aspect of this conversation, has not been part of the way in which Retail Drinks has gone about setting their board. Mm -hmm. And if you roll that down into what what does that mean, it means that they are unlikely to be fully representing and making the best decisions available. Which is even more heinous, I think, with (laughs) an organisation like Retail Drinks, which is supposed to be representative of an entire industry and within that industry, which caters to freaking nearly everybody. (laughs) This is what we've got. This is what we've got. Come on, guys, do better. (laughs) To, To consumers? I yeah. mean, it's Retail not that fucking hard. No. Like, it's the point. Like, I just, it's, I don't understand how in 2022, this is not something that drives organisations. The ASX have listed it as a goal. Like, it is basic. It's not even complex. It's just basic. How does this keep happening? Is yeah. I just, Matt, I... No, I'm look, get I, I just, just for the record, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just going to. She's winding herself up now. I, I just get so <laughs> Welcome annoyed. to my world, Sabrina, by I the know. way. This is, I found this is the problem with having a podcast. You <laughs> get to say what you want. I just. <laughs> I, I really. I saw it and I thought, you've got to be kidding me. Well, you know, we didn't even see the people. We thought, oh, this will be what we think it is. And it was. I know. <laughs> I just went to the website. I mean, anybody, any informed yeah. person can go to the website. I should also say, I'm not suggesting that those men aren't eminently qualified, the, the two that have been appointed, but across the entire range of their board, that at no point you don't think there are eminently qualified people working in women. Who can um, add another dimension. Who can it. add another yeah. dimension or any other visible diversity. For the record, I agree. I just could not have enunciated the argument as as well, I just or as, con- <laughs> as concisely, instead as well, we'd still be going. Um, so that is the discussion. Now, I, I think this week, with the announcement that New Zealand borders are open, that everybody has been looking at flights yes! and accommodation deals, and the New Zealand Ale Trail. So oh, we don't have any letters of the week, but we do have the New Zealand Ale Trail sponsoring oh, it. So it. clearly, no ads from New Zealand Ale Trail. I mean, which start is w- in Northland and work your way down. I mean, go to McLeod's and then just work your way through the couple of the barrel rooms. <laughs> head out. <laughs> you are selling this to wired, me. <laughs> and then down to Liberty. I mean, you know, and then the world's your oyster. So, oh, And I will be doing it. that. But I will be heading to www.nzaltrail.com uh, or at NZ Al Trail on social media and I will be looking for the best beer experiences for when I go over there. Um, one of the things that I wanted to last, it was really nice, so last Saturday um, went to, just invited to a friend's tasting. He every year buys a carton of the Cooper's Vintage Ale, mm-hmm. invites some friends around. So I, it wasn't a work thing, it was just a social thing and you know loved it. We, we did the tasting but then I pulled out um, a bottle of the Imperial Stout that Stomping Ground did and it ended up being a 2018 um, Imperial Stout that I'd had cellar and I wanted to take along something that was on, on the theme that I wanted to share 
And it was just glorious. It was one of those beers you just think, I remember this. Mm -hmm. But the thing I wanted to talk about today was I only had one bottle of it. It was one of those things that, you know, increasingly I've gone back in my day-to-day drinking of things I know today is going to taste like it was yesterday, which is, is, is one of the promises that beer always had over wine. You know, wine is very much vintage, and if you drink the 2014 vintage or the 2015 yep. vintage, you've got that expression of the grapes that year, where beer is being a little bit more of a two-recipe product, where brewers have to allow for the variation, you get a consistency. And I've written articles where I argued that consistency shouldn't be the god of brewing and, and all of that, but there is something comforting. About going back every day for They're what They're going you back know. for, for yep. what I know. Not McDonald's, because these are good quality beers. So it's not just the McDonald's standardisation. It is a good quality beer um, and consistency. And having had this amazing experience with a beer that I just loved, there is a part of me that's really sad. I can't go back and do it again. Um, which is, you know, it, 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 I, I don't know whether it's going to make me averse from cellaring and just cellaring that one bottle or you're making sure I've got a couple of bottles so I can have the experience a couple of times. But there was a little corner of my heart that was very sad. That but I think doesn't that make you on the other side? It might spark that passion to to sell it, to really thoughtfully select some beers, put them away, bring them out, like the occasion beers. I always have, you know, I've got the, I like the um, fermented, the reds, and so I've got the creeks, and I've got some of those. I've got, um, and I've got them, and I keep them, and then you pull them out and. It's you just, celebrate the thing. You celebrate that, you're having that you it. had it. Well, yeah. but you celebrate you had the opportunity to have <laughs> such a good experience. And you search for them, right? You look at them, and you you go somewhere. And you're like, oh, that looks like one that I'm going to put in my cellar. You know, that beer is coming home with me, and that's going to sit there. And then there'll be a special occasion. And what I've found in my life is, I save things for the special occasion, and then. There's never a special enough occasion, and then eventually, <laughs> on like a random night, you're like, like "Okay, Tuesday. we're gonna, yeah, I've had a hard day. Let's go for it. I'm gonna have this, and it's still, I don't know. It, I I love special beers. Who I, says I love that the beers not like wine? Like the fact that this is the kind of experience that people in beer want you to have with beer. Uh, well, it's and 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 this is the thing the beer. One part of beer shouldn't be like wine, but that's the mm-hmm. commodity. To some extent, that's the commodity, and the fact that beer was always going to be the same was one of the things, going back to mm. argue against what I argued about before, <laughs> is that that sameness is what devalues beer um, to an extent because you don't have the high points. But there is an element of the market that does create those experiences really? that does elevate the whole category. You know, we were talking about with post-craft, but... A lot of breweries now are going actually into the traditional barrel aging, the fermented styles. So they all started out with we're going to make big hoppy things and actually we've seen people making more traditional styles which lend themselves to um, because they are beers that can be cellared or beers that can be kept for longer, mm-hmm. um, you know, lend themselves to the special occasion. And so, you know, maybe we're just honing our craft in a different way these Absolutely. days. Absolutely. Um, oh, love it. And I, yeah, I love those. Because so. I was pondering this um, after I'd had it and sort of thinking, well, you know, on one hand, that was the thing that made beer different from wine. But increasingly, we're seeing wine commodify itself as well to broaden the market by, you know, the number of New Zealand Sauvignon Blancs where they just 
my understanding is that they crush the grapes and store the grape juice in inert gas so they can then just ferment the same product. Yellow and then tail, they blend it. Yeah. Yellow oh, tail yeah. pioneered the commodification of it's not yellow tail vintage in North America. It is a bottle of yellow tail. That's it. And mm. they commodified wine. Like that was I mean, it's it's box wine in a bottle. Um Sorry if you work at Yellowtail. Um. No, well, that's Casella, which is Coca-Cola partnership. Yeah. You know, yeah. Casella. And then I don't awesome. think they, yeah. You know, the point is that wine has done that itself for many years. But I still have, you know, it is true that I will go and buy the same pale ales over and over because I yeah. know what I'm drinking. Yeah. I know what I'm getting. And sometimes you don't want to risk it for a biscuit and go no. too wild. No. <laughs> sometimes you want to know that you're going to like it and enjoy it and not have to be worried about, oh, yeah. God, this is going to be awful. <laughs> I might get to the bottom yeah. of it. Funnily and I'm enough. not a pourer. You know I'm not a pourer of a bad – I'll drink it to the bitter end. Yeah, I will not. I won't. I refuse. I just did something I never do. I just had a quick look on um, Untapped. Oh, yeah. Um, to see how it – what other people thought of yeah. your beer experience. I'm not going to call anybody out, but Stoutweather. <laughs> had this in the cellar for a while. Well, since June 2018. <laughs> Hoping for a bit more, to be honest. <laughs> Is that all? Is that all they said? <laughs> I, I, I can't log in. I haven't logged oh, in for okay. so long. But it was the uh, Compromat um, 2018 bourbon barrel aged Russian. Wow. And again, it was not – I don't say that I've got a great palate or anything like that, but to me it was – Complex and rich, and but nothing smacked you in the face. Mm. The, you know, my criticism of a lot problem. of craft yeah, beer yeah. is that that it, 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 again, it is like that Nelson Sauvignon Blanc, or you know the the beers that you just only taste passion fruit and it smacks you in the face. So you don't need a good palate to get it. You feel part of it. Whereas this was elegant and subtle, and there were no rough demonstrative edges. It was just a beer that just kept coming. So beautifully. Just you wait till you go to New Zealand and you go to somewhere. <laughs> I, I keep thinking all the beers that we used, that I used to have sort of cellared, I guess, mm. and um, I, you know, either drank them or gave them away before I moved back over. Um, but just you wait. Yes. Oh, that's going to be good. Okay. Uh, other news that has been put in, it's Vocation, the women leading Barcelona's craft beer revolution. Who threw that in? People posted these on the Facebook page. Uh, okay. Yes, yep. So why. interesting. Yep. I think Daniel Ridd might have done that. I think so, um, yes. And this was a nice one, especially in time for International Women's, Women's Day. Day. It just reminded me of how Scotland brought whiskey to Japan. It was like a kind of similar story. It was really interesting um, to read the background of craft beer in Spain and see those parallels. It was really nice. And the other piece that I love about it is it's, you know, the comment in there was it's not just a job, it's a vocation. And so, you know, you can sit on the other side and say it's a post-craft world, but for folks that are getting into craft beer Mm. or markets that are less mature than fat perhaps the Australian market on craft beer, they're still really at the sort of... Yeah, we're all jaded. I and was just still like, this is really exciting. Exploring it yeah. for the first time, getting mm. into it for the first time. So it's really it. lovely. Like you get your little, you know... Absolutely. Brings the joy back. That's it. We're all about that this week. We are all about the joy. <laughs> Anything else before we uh, take it out? We no? keep it very oh, nicely, very disciplined <laughs> little... Very uh, good this week. <laughs> well, no, all good. that wraps up another week of news. Um, Branded House, House of Brands. Um, <laughs> your hosts have been me, Matt Kirkegaard, Claire Burnett and Sabrina Kunz. The show is produced by Vivian Topalovich and edited by Joanne Helder. Thank you to our supporters, Rallings, Label Stickers and Packaging, New Zealand Owl Trail and Thirsty Merchants and also our sponsor this week, East Coast Canning, who you'll find in our business directory. And if you would like to be in the directory, 
directory at brewsnews.com.au and you can be featured in this podcast as well as being seen by the people who are planning breweries or looking to get new equipment. Uh, thank you all yourselves for listening. Share your thoughts on the show by emailing producer at brewsnews.com.au and if we read out your comments, we will send you some merch, a bar blade or something else, whatever we have in stock. You can leave a review on your favourite podcasting service and on that, we're out. Boom. Boom.